Macworld Podcast number 392 for Wednesday, January 29th, 2014. Brought to you by GoToMeeting. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Macworld Podcast. I'm your host this week, Philip Michaels. We're celebrating an anniversary. We're a few days late on it. It was uh, January 24th was the actual 30th anniversary of the Macintosh. Uh, maybe you saw some of the extensive coverage we had at Macworld.com or in the the uh, print issue of Macworld. Maybe, uh, maybe this is all news to you. If so, let's wrap up our anniversary coverage just by uh, – this week we'll be joined by a lot of guests uh, throughout the podcast talking about uh, – their first Mac, how they got uh, interested in the Mac platform. Plenty of surprises, so um, we hope you'll you'll listen from start to finish. But also joining me right here in the studio, it's it's no surprise at all that Jason Snell is here. Hello, Jason. Hi, Phil. Good to be here. Yes, and um, you spent the 30th anniversary of the Mac in an unusual way. You went you went down to Apple um, for for many surprise visitors. Tell us a little bit about that. Indeed, I did. I I presented myself at Cupertino at uh, number three, actually, Infinite Loop, and uh, went into a conference room. And who was there? Well, I knew they were going to be there. It was Phil Schiller, Craig Federighi, who is Apple's uh, senior vice president in terms of so- uh, in charge of software development, and Bud Tribble, who is uh, basically a, an Apple vice president in charge of software technology, um, but also a, a member, one of the handful of people still at Apple who were members of the original Mac team. And we talked about the the uh, Mac's 30th anniversary, which was uh, really sporting of them to do. I think it was me, the Wall Street Journal, and ABC News who got a chance to talk. And ABC News got Tim Cook. I didn't get Tim Cook. That's but, true. But I did get uh, more than half an hour with uh, with those those three guys, including well, but, you know, but, but Tribble Craig, is yeah. Bud Tribble is certainly uh, an interesting person to talk to because he, he, he was there uh, from the get-go. I mean – uh, yeah, as, he, he left at some point, and then I think he worked at Next at some point, and came back to Apple. So he's been around the block, but he knows, you know, he knows Apple then and now, which is a pretty unique. I mean, Chris Espinoza. There are a few people that, at Apple, I think, who are who are still from that team, but very few. Right. So um, you. Uh, wrote about your experience at a, in a fine article at macworld.com which we'll link to in the show notes but in essence uh, what was their uh, uh, feeling about the mac on on this its 30th anniversary year well one of the things that i wanted to ask them is where the mac goes from here T- 10 years ago i did the uh, the mac's 20th anniversary interview with steve jobs uh, i had a good 5 minutes on the phone with steve jobs he didn't want to be there and uh, one of the questions I asked him was – this was in the heyday of the iPod. And the iPod was becoming wildly successful. And I asked, you know, basically the Mac is uh, part of Apple's – a major part of Apple's future, right? And his response, he might – if he was a ruder person, he might have said, duh. But instead he said, of course. And so I wanted to ask these guys the same thing. We've seen a lot of speculation about, oh, OS X updates are going to merge the Mac and iOS. And eventually the Mac is going to disappear because everything's going to just be a big iPad and I wanted them to get the opportunity to address that because I think they haven't really talked about that in any great detail. And uh, I was quite happy to have uh, to ask those questions and get pretty good answers from them, I think. Okay. Uh, 
the Mac has been around 30 years. It's gone through many changes in, in, in that time, obviously. Uh, that's not something you can really often say about technology products. We went back and, and looked at uh, uh, some of the things that have come out in the last 30 years. I know that Dell um, got its start 30 years ago, but yeah. obviously they've gone through many changes. Why, why has the Mac uh, endured in a way that other, um, other tech products do not? Well, it's a good question. Um, something that they brought up, um, the fact that you don't usually – in a, a world as fast-moving as technology, you don't usually end up with um, a product lasting 30 years at all. It just doesn't happen. The Mac has survived uh, for a few reasons. I mean, it, it is Apple's uh, – it, it's how innovative it was. It's Apple's focus on product quality. It's the willingness to evolve the operating system and evolve the hardware. Um, something that Phil Schiller mentioned to me is uh, it's the willingness to throw things away. They pointed out that, you know, it looks uh, – somebody from 1984 would look at the Mac today and say, wow, this is some sort of future version of the Mac. But it's recognizably the Mac, uh, menu bar and Apple and, and everything. But the fact is in Windows um, all over the screen um, – but it's OS X. It actually isn't the same software at all. That was a huge transition that Apple made um, about 15 years ago. So, which means that OS, the OS X era is very rapidly becoming half the Mac's lifespan, which is kind of funny. So, um, that was a case where Apple threw the you know threw the operating system away, had a new operating system, but still kept uh, what they what had value. And I think. Uh, Phil Schiller's point was so much of that original Mac, so much of the work done on the by the original Mac team had such great value that even 15 years later when they were reinventing the Mac and re-architecting it, they kept all of that. And that's why it's recognizable. But um, they definitely wanted to make the case that this is Apple doing what it's always done, which is having this pr- commitment to product quality, to integrating hardware and software. And it's a near thing. I mean, in 97, things were really bad and the Mac could have gone away forever. Uh, but they uh, managed to pull it out and release the iMac and get on a, a strong trajectory. And now the Mac is growing. You know, it, it outpaces the PC market. It's it's making money and selling computers in a rapidly um, contracting PC market. Right. We're we're recording this on the day that Apple announced its uh, its quarterly earnings, and I believe Mac sales jumped nineteen percent during the. Uh during what Apple calls its fiscal first quarter. It's the last three right. months of 2013. Right. Mac sales have been static, although they, they were up year over year, and uh, which it looks like Mac sales are more cyclical than they used to be. I think they're more holiday Mac sales than they used to be, mm-hmm. which is kind of funny. It used to be a little more impervious to, uh, to, to uh, holiday quarters and things like that. But definitely, even when the Mac is flat, it's flat in a market that is shrinking. That is shrinking. Um, and then when you look at the percentage of uh, of the profits, we talk about the iPhone taking a huge percentage of the profits of, of the smartphone market and how really only Apple and Samsung are making money in the smartphone market right now. Uh, on the PC side, Apple is not even listed in the top five PC vendors by volume, which kind of blows me away. But I believe they're making half the profits in the PC market at least. So, again, it's that same old Apple story, which is the Mac is 
looks tiny compared to the percentage of Apple's business that is the iPhone. But as a standalone business, and Apple has made this point several times, Tim Cook's made it um, time and again, as as its own business, it's a really good, profitable business. And uh, it continues to be. And what those guys told me in my interview with them is that they, I think what Schiller said was the Mac goes on forever as far as the eye can see. Basically, they don't see a coming together of the Mac and iOS, which creates these kind of fusion products like we see with with uh, Windows 8. Uh, they say the Mac is good for the things that the Mac is good for. And the iPod and, I mean, the iPad and the iPhone are good for what they're good for and that people aren't, uh, you know, being forced to choose one of these things. They can use whatever tools fit them and move among them. And uh, and so they, they believe there's a place for the Mac uh, as far as they can see into the future, which is, uh, if you're a Mac user, it's good to hear. Hi, this is Ted Landau, Macro contributor and Bugs and Fixes columnist, and I'm here today to talk to you about my first Mac. And to set the stage for that, we need to go back to late 1983. I was a professor at a University of Michigan at the time, and I was getting ready to buy my first personal computer. I had had experience with computers from where I worked, uh, where we had primarily Apple IIe's. I liked them a lot. I especially liked that I could type lowercase as well as uppercase letters when I was doing word processing, a big improvement over the older Apple II. But I was also considering getting an IBM PC. I wasn't that committed to Apple products at the time. But then I started hearing these rumors that this Macintosh computer was going to come out, and so I thought I'd wait to see that what that was like before I made a final decision. And so January rolled around, the Mac came out, I went to my local Apple computer store. Yes, it was a store that just sold Apple and Apple-related products, even though Apple had nothing to do with the ownership of the store. And they had a Mac uh, on the counter on display to, to play with, and I played with it for literally less than five minutes before I was completely sold. This is going to be the train to the future as, I was, as far as I was concerned, and I was going to get one. It, it's, it was just hard to imagine how radically different the Mac was uh, at that point for somebody like myself and probably for most people. The fact that it had this desktop metaphor where there were files that you could just point and click or double click to open them was just completely different from anything I'd used to. There was no need to remember the name of the file, where the file was located. You didn't have to deal with a command line and type it in and retype it if you made a typographical error the first time. Uh, you just pointed at what you wanted, clicked, and the file was open. And then when the file opened, if it was a word processing file, you had this amazing what you see is what you get interface where you could change the font, what make it larger, smaller, italics, whatever, and see whatever changes you made instantly on the screen. And it would be exactly as it would appear when you printed it out to the image writer printer. Unbelievable. And then, of course, there was the ability to draw with bitmap graphics, with applications like McPaint, uh, which I had never seen anything like before either. It just was, again, completely unbelievable. So I set about to buy one. I didn't get it at that store. Sorry to say to the owner of that store. I didn't want to have to pay $2,500, which is what cost at the time, when I could get an educator's discount and get it for half that price. I couldn't get it at the um, university where I worked, but I had a friend that worked at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, and he had, was eligible to get a discounted Mac but didn't want it, and so he gave it to me. And that's how I bought my first Mac. It took about three months before it arrived. I didn't get it until around April. Uh, I, I think if you bought one in a store, you didn't have to wait that long, but the educator discount people uh, had a lower priority, I guess. And so sometime in April, I got a call that my Mac was ready, went to get it, and set it up at home, and it was every bit as 
amazing as I was expecting from that first uh, time I played with it back in January. And I've never regretted the decision. It's uh, it, I've owned nothing but Apple products, Macs, and iOS devices ever since. And literally, I can say that that it changed my life. It it changed my life uh, in relatively short order. Within within the first year or two after getting the Mac, I used early versions of page layout software to write a book. It was about a, a strategy game I was playing at the time called Othello. And I wrote a book about Othello strategy. And it's something I never could have done with any other type of computer. I never would have even attempted with any other type of computer at the time. It was just liberating to have something like the Mac. And of course, I wouldn't be here telling you about this if it wasn't for the fact that the Mac also led to me having a career about writing about Apple products, the Mac in particular. So, happy anniversary, Mac. It's been great. And I look forward to the next 30 years as well. Thanks. Hi, this is Chris Breen. My first Mac was a used Macintosh 512KE that I purchased in 1986 from the guitar player in my band at the time. He was upgrading to a Mac Plus and so looking for a buyer for his old Mac. The musician component is important. At the time, I was a professional musician playing synthesizers with MIDI ports. I think I was playing a Yamaha DX7 at the time. He showed me his setup where he connected his synthesizer to the Mac via MIDI interface and was able to record, edit, and play back what he played with Mark of the Unicorn's performer sequencing software. After spending about 15 minutes with it, I was completely sold. Somehow I rustled up the money and the Mac was mine, complete with copies of MacWrite, MacPaint, and all the original packaging, which I still have. Over the years, that became the most expensive Mac I ever owned. I upgraded it first to a Mac Plus, that's probably $1,000, and then I hot-rodded it with a 68030 processor. And now that it had a SCSI port, I spent maybe another $1,000 on a Jasmine 100 megabyte hard drive, and I wondered how I was ever going to fill the thing up. Ultimately, the Mac got me the job that I have today. My girlfriend, who's now my wife, worked at Mac User at the time, and an editor badly wanted a hunk of music software reviewed, but few people were doing much along those lines back then. So he asked around, and my wife, God bless her, volunteered that her boyfriend used his Mac with music and MIDI. Can he write? He asked. Well, he wrote for his high school newspaper. Okay, I'm that desperate. Take this home, give it to him, and if I accept what he writes, he gets 50 bucks and he can keep the software. The $50 was great, but free software? Awesome. We're talking uh, 30th anniversary of the Mac with various Macworld editors and contributors. And we're back here with Jason Snell. Uh, just before we, we broke away there, we were talking about the world of iOS and OS X coming together. And I thought it was interesting that uh, Craig Federici was, uh, was sat in uh, uh, on your your discussion with Apple on the 30th anniversary because because he's sort of overseen the whole uh, the whole ball of wax in terms of uh, iOS and OS 10 these days. Yeah, one of the things I asked him was, um, you know, Mountain Lion when it came out, there was this perception that Apple was really trying to jam. Um, the Mac into an iOS-shaped box, and it was going to just look like iOS and behave like iOS. And that then when uh, Craig Federighi was put in charge of both Mac and iOS development teams, I think a lot of people were like, oh, here we go. And in fact, the reverse seems to be true, that uh, Federighi very 
strongly said it doesn't and Phil Schiller too it doesn't make any sense for us to do things on the Mac just to make it look like iOS that it should feel like it's part of the same company and that there should be some I think especially when they're thinking of syncing data in the cloud or things like naming calendar and calendar instead of one is iCal and one is calendar or one is messages and one is i iChat uh, stuff like that but in terms of the interface itself they they said it would be a waste and foolish to try and uh and change them. So even though Federighi is in charge of both of these teams, and there are a lot of benefits to one team learning something and the other one using it, and they said like battery life on the new MacBooks is very much a uh, a story of the iPad raising the bar and saying I can get all day battery life with this thing. Why not your laptop? And so that's definitely how they want to portray it, is that they're, the teams feed off of each other and they share a lot of code, but that the intent is not to collapse them into a singularity and they have just this one operating system that looks the same everywhere. That's definitely not what they intend, which is, like I said, it's good news for Mac users, I think. So to to repeat that question that you asked uh, 10 years ago when that you – know, that phone interview with Steve Jobs is there. There's still a place for the Mac. Obviously, the the answer again is duh, duh. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, I mean, it goes on forever. I think that, that I really liked their. This is, you know, this is what Apple says its philosophy is, which is you're not in a position where you're a laptop person or a tablet person. You might you'll use the tools that work for you, and you might only have one, or you might have both. You might have a phone and a laptop and a tablet. I came into the meeting room with all three on my person, and you will use the right tool for the task. And that um, they definitely, just like Tim Cook famously talked about the toaster fridge, you know, and that was a, a, an arm thrown at, at Microsoft for, for uh, what they're doing with Windows 8, where there's the standard desktop and then there's the tablet interface on top. And you see that in something like Surface. Apple believes to each device um, its own appropriate purpose and the Mac has one and that um, I, I like that that they're saying look the iPad is great for stuff but there's other stuff that the Mac is great for and it'll be different for different people and we shouldn't force people to make a choice they should be able to move freely between them um, and uh, and so that's their take on it is that the Mac I mean I think Phil Schiller said they've had 30 years to perfect the um, you know mouse keyboard or trackpad keyboard pointing device on the screen kind of metaphor. And they think it's great and that people will keep using it. Um, and they don't believe in this sort of uh, mixed, you know, throw a touch screen on a laptop and have it be half touch, half keyboard. They, they just, uh, they don't seem to believe in that at all. This is senior editor Dan Morin. The first Mac I remember using belonged to my friend Paul, a squat, boxy Macintosh SE30 that sounded like it was about to break every time you pushed a floppy disk into the drive. We spent way, way more hours than I care to remember playing Shuffle Puck Cafe and Mac Poker. Once we made about 200 fake dollars in the ladder when the Mac crashed on us and we lost everything. I guess you could say we learned a lot about life. Between that machine and the Apple IIs in my school, I quickly became a diehard Apple fan. It didn't matter that we didn't have a computer at home. When we did, it would be a Macintosh. When I was 10 or 11, my dad, after many years of badgering, including the repeated insistence that this would be so good for my schoolwork, brought home our first computer, a Macintosh LC. It was a flat pizza box of a machine with a little 12-inch CRT monitor and luxury of luxuries, a 40-megabyte hard drive that I was pretty sure I'd never be able to fill up. 
One of the selling points was that the monitor was color, which gave me one over on my friend's SE30, but it didn't come with quite enough memory to effectively run the Color Enhanced System 7, which had come in several included floppy disks. So I ended up figuring out how to reinstall the older System 6.0.7, condemning myself to a mainly grayscale prison for a year or two. Still, even in grayscale, the Mac stood in stark contrast to most of the other computers I knew those days, where the monitor wasn't good for much more than green-on-black text and a blinking insertion point. My Mac didn't have that. It had menus and a pointer and folders that you could click on. 11-year-old me wondered why anybody would ever opt for something that didn't have a graphical user interface. Despite the fact that I loved my Mac, things weren't always smooth. I remember begging my father to buy me a particular computer game only to get home and discover that it was for PCs only. But even that heartbreak didn't deter me for long. All too soon I was arguing the advantages of risk processors to writing Windows 95 as a mere copycat and generally being insufferable. I had my fair share of Microsoft versus Apple arguments in middle school and high school, probably other people's fair shares as well. I read the Macintosh Bible cover to cover. I bought books that came with floppy disks full of silly applications and games. I dug around in resource files and res-edit. I wrote stories in MacWrite 2 and later Clarisworks. I still have some Clarisworks files floating around, in fact. In college, I took plenty of flack for not being one of the Windows cadre, right up until it turned out that those of us with Macs could somehow more quickly sign up for the next semester's courses. Not too many years later, I was toting my PowerBook to my job in IT, where I spent my days fixing Windows machines and ignoring friendly jibes about my Mac from my coworkers. That was more or less the case with every job I had, up until I joined Macworld. Through all of this, I remained a Mac user. Sure, I dabbled in building PCs for a while, and I bought an Xbox, but my primary computer has always been a Mac. The usability gap has closed over the years, in many cases Windows has become good enough, but I've never been tempted to switch. The Mac is part of my DNA. It's part of what makes me who I am today. But at the end of the day, I was a Mac user and have so remained for one major reason. I can't imagine using anything else. Hi, I'm Jackie Dove, Macworld Senior Editor. Anyone who can remember flickering black screens with iridescent green or amber text and an A-prompt needs no further explanation as to why I wanted a Mac. My first Mac was a Centra 610, 1993 vintage, which even today I consider one of the best computers I've ever owned. This purchase was pure serendipity. Stepping into the CompUSA retail store in San Bruno, California, I originally had my heart set on an LC3 and was disappointed to learn I would have to place an order and wait. The unnamed salesman, to whom I shall remain forever grateful, then mentioned that he had a return in stock of a Centris 610 in the returns card up front, no less, a computer I had not considered. His words were, It's the best hundred dollars you will ever spend. I went for it, and it was true. I remember the first startup chime and how incredibly fast it always was. Despite its lack of a floating point unit, which limited my ability to create and view fractals, another story entirely, this thing was a peppy little speed demon. It shipped with System 7.1, which was so much fun to use that I spent endless hours at the computer fooling around, digging into folders, messing with preferences, changing my desktop, and of course, working on my writing assignments. In today's world, Centris 610 specs 4 megabytes of RAM, 80 megabyte hard drive, 20 megahertz clock speed, are almost humorous. But at the time, such a computer was near state-of-the-art for the home market. It had Apple's low pizza box design, 
atop which sat a lovely 14-inch Apple color monitor, and it came with a sleek Apple desktop bus mouse and Apple extended keyboard too. There's a Center 610 on sale at eBay today for $89. I kid you not. In retrospect, I did make one mistake, the printer, the Apple LaserWriter Select 310. Being PostScript level one, it printed beautifully, but it was glacially slow. Despite that, I was thrilled with my first Mac system and used it for five years before replacing it. We'll return to the Macworld podcast after this word from our sponsor. You know, winter weather can severely impact the way we do business. You've got closed roads, you've got canceled flights, people are calling in sick all the time. Some madman is throwing the Super Bowl in the middle of a snowstorm this week. So be prepared for what old man winter has in store and sign up for GoToMeeting with HD Faces by Citrix. It's the powerfully simple way to meet and collaborate online no matter what the weather is like. You can sign up for GoToMeeting from your computer or mobile device and launch your first meeting in seconds. Then, no matter where you are, you'll be instantly connected to your team. You can share your screen to collaborate on projects in real time and turn on your webcams to see each other face-to-face. So even if you can't make it to the office, you can still meet in person and be productive. Here at Macworld, we've got people all over the country. This is exactly the sort of service we need to have meetings. So what I'm going to do is start my free 30-day trial of GoToMeeting today. Join me. You visit GoToMeeting.com, click the Try It Free button, use the promo code MACWORLD. That's GoToMeeting.com, promo code MACWORLD, and you can use GoToMeeting with HD Faces by Citrix. Hi, Associate Editor Serenity Caldwell here. I'm thinking about my first Mac, and it's it's a little funny because I, I really don't have one first Mac. I kind of have a couple, depending on how you look at it, what kind of point of view. Uh, My first actual Mac that I consider uh, was a uh, Mac Plus in 1989 that actually belonged to my father. For those of you who actually know me and know how old I am, 1989 seems a little bit silly because I was just over a year old at that point. Uh, But my father, in his infinite wisdom, decided that young children should learn how to use technology very, very early on. Uh, So he set me up with his Mac Plus, which is his pride and joy he had brought home from Caltech. Uh, He set me up in their bedroom with a copy of Mac Paint and a mouse and just let me get to town for days on end. And I would draw all sorts of really ridiculous things. (laughs) When you you ask an 18-month-old to draw with a mouse, terrible, terrible things end up happening, usually scribbles of varying colors and sizes. I can picture being at the Mac Plus uh, and scribbling around. And that Mac Plus stayed with me for quite a while. My dad would get new computers, nicer Macs from Caltech. As the office upgraded, he would get to sort of keep the leftovers. Um, So he would, you know, go on to a PowerBook Duo and we'd continue with the Mac Plus and uh, we had the Mac Plus in our in our bedroom for most of my childhood, mainly so that we could use copy and paste to get out of those awful, awful homework assignments that ask you to write the same sentence down ten times in a row. I feel kind of bad about cheating in retrospect, but really it's uh, using technology for good and, 
and not busy work. But that, when I think about it, that wasn't really my first Mac. Um, and that, you know, it was my father's and it was my sister's to a certain extent too. We both had little folders on it. Uh, my first real Mac uh, was a Bondi Blue iMac that I got for my 10th birthday. And it was around the same time that I got to move into my own room too. So not only did I, you know, I was, I was a big kid and I, I had my own space, uh, but I got this brand new computer to call my very own and it was hooked up to the internet. I was ecstatic, over the moon. Like I could go on and, and, and read anything I wanted. I could play whatever I wanted. I could write whatever I wanted. And having that computer in my room as a 10 year old, I know some people probably think about that and especially parents go, what was your father thinking? Really? An iMac for a 10 year old. Um, and I'll admit, you know, as a kid, you always get into, uh, you get into trouble and you, you do things maybe your, your parents might frown upon. Um, but when it came down to it, I feel like there was so much good of having a Mac and having that computer in my life at such an early age. It taught me how to use the web. It, it fully instilled in me my love for technology and my love for Apple products. Um, and it constantly got me questioning, you know, what else can I do? How can I go farther? What new thing can I learn on the internet today? So I'm, I'm very grateful for my Macs. I've never owned anything but, and I hope that I will never have to. Hi, I'm Macworld contributor Sharon Sardetto, and I'd like to tell you about my first Mac. It was the first Mac. Not the first one off the assembly line, but the first model, practically bursting with 128k of memory and accompanied by 400k disks, onto which was squeezed the system and finder, none of that OS nomenclature then, and either Mac Write or Mac Paint, with room left over for your documents. But it wasn't my very first computer. That was a Timex Sinclair, with a membrane keyboard, a cassette recorder to store data, and a whopping 2K of memory. Yes, I said 2K. And no programs, so unless you programmed it, you couldn't do anything. I read a few books on programming in TS Basic, as it was called, and concluded that it would be easier for a good writer, although I wasn't a writer then, to learn how to program and then explain how to do it, than for a programmer to learn how to write. I figured things out and started writing about it. Magazine articles, a book, and while I was teaching myself how to deal with machine language in order to make that little machine do things faster, and dabbling with a Commodore 64 on the side, and reviewing other computer systems, such as an early touchscreen entry from HP, I think, as they came out, my publisher said I was wasting my time and talent, and he'd like me to do a book about the IBM PC. Apparently, something deep in my soul recognized even then the coming great divide, although my brain was merely interested in working with an upcoming 32-bit processor instead of the 8-bit processor I had. And I replied that if he advanced me enough to buy a Macintosh when it came out, I'd write a book about that. And he did. And I did. Everything was a discovery. Even just typing Mac right with bold and italic, or both at the same time, displayed right on the screen and fonts. Never mind work. That was just plain fun. If you held down the option key, you'd get little pictures from some keys. And if you changed the font, the pictures would change too. That was a puzzlement. 
Sometimes even if you just changed the size of the font, the picture would change. Mac Paint. Drawing and painting in black and white with those square pixels making beautiful sharp lines on the screen. When you needed to get to part of the document not displayed in the Mac Paint window on that little 9-inch screen, you moved it with the hand and then waited while the screen refreshed. And the scrapbook. Everybody loved that robot. And wow, you could put pictures into a MacWrite document. It was incredible. To switch from MacWrite to MacPaint, you had to shut down the Mac and start up from another floppy. And when you couldn't fit all your documents on the disk, you made another startup disk with either MacWrite or MacPaint on it and learned to change the desktop pattern for each startup disk so you could identify at a glance which disk was running the show. And that first ImageWriter printer. Occasionally it got confused and did something called a hex dump, printing lines and lines of numbers instead of your document text. Friends were always impressed when, with a printout going in another room, my ears would perk up and I'd say, it's doing a hex dump, because you could tell by the sound that it was firing its pins frenetically to print the flood of numbers instead of at the more sedate rate used for text or pictures. And did I mention the fan fold tractor feed paper? Print your document, then tear off the outer edges and tear apart the individual pages. My latest Mac is barely a month old. It has 8 gigs of memory and a terabyte flash drive. So it has more than 65,000 times the memory of my first Mac and over 4 million times the memory of my first computer. Its terabyte drive has over 2.5 million times the storage of that 400k floppy. And while I have a vague memory of paying $10 for a single 400k disc in the early days, later you could get a 10-pack for 50 bucks. At that rate, my current drive would cost, are you ready for this, nearly $13.5 million. I even asked not one, but two people to double-check my math on that, because despite Moore's law and its corollaries, I find it very difficult to believe. I still love my Mac and count myself lucky that I still make my living explaining how to make it do stuff. And I'm really looking forward to the Mac quantum computer. We've been hearing from different editors throughout this podcast about uh, their first Mac and how they they uh, uh, got into this, this platform and, and became fans and became enthusiasts about the Mac. I since we have you here, Jason, I think uh, I think it, it's only natural to ask you the same question. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. What uh, what what was your first Mac? So um, when I was in high school, my high school newspaper had a had a Mac. I, I assume uh, a 128 or a, or a 512. Uh, but all we ever did on it was the it had Microsoft Word, and the margins were set for the width of the columns of the newspaper, and you'd type in your stories and then print them. Uh, down the hall on the laser writer, and then we'd cut them out and lay them down, like paste them up using wax on a on a pasteboard. So it was not desktop publishing at all. Um, that was my first exposure to the Mac, but I didn't really use one properly until college because our college newspaper, you worked there too, um, just a couple of years behind me, um, the UCSD Guardian at UC San Diego, uh, they had just switched. 
um, when I when I arrived there my my sophomore year to apply for a job, they had just switched to all Macs, and so it was new to them, and it was new to me too. But I knew computer stuff. I had an Apple II. I was good with computer stuff, so I started using them. I was typing stories in. I was editing them. I was originally a typist, which is people brought your stories in and on a from their typewriter, and then you'd put them into the computer so you could lay them out on pages with PageMaker. And uh, which was early desktop publishing software, kids. Yeah. Which was run by Aldis at the time. Yes, which was then bought by Adobe. And mm-hmm. InDesign is sort of the legacy of PageMaker. So um, I would just type in the stories. And what happened was, as a as an editor-to-be, and uh, I would edit the stories as I was typing them in, which was not what I was supposed to do. And they made me an editor. And I started learning how to lay out pages in PageMaker. And you know, by the time I left there, I was the editor-in-chief. Plus, I was networking the office with phone net connectors and doing all that stuff. So it was, it was a combination. So that first year, you know, I, I entered uh, that newspaper in the fall, having never used a Mac really before. And I had my Apple II in my dorm room. And by that spring, about a month or two before we broke for the summer break, I was at the student bookstore buying a Mac SE. So it, it was. It didn't take me very long of exposure to the Mac before I realized I absolutely had to have one. And so I got a Mac SE with a hard drive and a single floppy drive, uh, and uh, you know used that through the rest of college. And then uh, yeah, and then in grad school I got a PowerBook 160. So mm-hmm. it was really the college uh, newspaper experience that. Uh, that did it for me, and uh, that clinched it, and I've never looked back. Uh, that was 1989-90, I want to say. Right. So it was it was after the formative years of the Mac. I, I didn't really live uh, – you know, System 6 was really what we had then. And then I remember being very excited um, my junior year in college that System 7 came out. Up through high school, I used an IBM PC Junior. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, I had an Apple II, and before that I had a Commodore PET, um, not – the most speedy of no. computers. So, no. yeah, yeah. But that that Mac moment was the one that, and I loved my Apple too. But that then I saw the Mac and I was it. And another another fun trivia question uh, about me. I've never PC Junior. Did you have an Intellivision instead of an Atari too? No, we had an Odyssey three. Oh my god. Yeah. No, it's it's a bunch of the Michaels. Wow. Fam- did you drink RC cola? We did. <laughs> actually, actually, I believe it was off-label cola from the local uh, super, cola. Oh. supermarket. Oh, Safeway Cola. Safeway nice. Cola. Nice. Yeah. No, the Michaels Family Crest is a bunch of knockoff products, <laughs> really. Um, this isn't even a crest. No. <laughs> and um, another fun trivia question. I have never actually owned a desktop computer. I've always... Owned laptops. Well, I, I know you had a you had a one of those classic one like PowerBook pa- one forty five or the something. PowerBook one forty five B, as a matter ah, of fact. B. The yes. B is for for best. <laughs> it's the best one. I remember those were great. Somebody was asking yeah. me what my favorite Mac was, and I actually was thinking I I, I like I want to say the twelve inch PowerBook or the MacBook Air, um, but I, I I'm tempted to say the PowerBook one sixty and that whole PowerBook yeah, that, that one hundred family of... with the little roller ball and all of that because that was that really made the Mac cool again when it had sort of been uncool for a while after its first flash uh, because then all the cool people were like I can have a laptop and it was the first laptop that was cool and that and and I got one in grad school and I, you know I remember you having one and those were great I loved I loved that mm-hmm. um, but I did have that SE and and uh, and I had a power computing clone for a little while and I had a G4 for a while so it was a while before I went all laptop but I'm all laptop now well, uh, if you've got a 30th anniversary story like the like the editors in in this podcast, we'd we'd love to hear it. Share it in the comments section. 
Um, I'd like to thank all the guests that have uh, contributed stories today. Yes. We'll we'll list them in the show notes. And I'd like to thank you, Jason, for for taking the time to uh, to talk to us today. And that was uh, a nice work at Apple uh, last week for the the thirtieth anniversary. Thanks. It was a pleasure to be here. When I started, I was the new guy covering Apple, and now I I, I turn around and I've covered the Mac for um, two thirds of its existence. That's weird. Yeah. old men (laughs) old men reminiscing (laughs) good times Mm, well thank you readers for for for, uh, For indulging us for indulging these two old men who are sitting here talking about uh, a lifetime of computing (laughs) in our rocking chairs we'll be back next week with another Macworld podcast we hope you join us then This episode of the Macworld Podcast has been sponsored by GoToMeeting.